This episode is brought to you by Progressive, where drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. Plus, auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Quote now at Progressive.com to see if you could save. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates, national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. So why do you want to learn a new language? I'll tell you why. Because donde esta el baño can be a very important question at times. You know, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. Fast track your language acquisition with immersive lessons designed to teach you to pick up languages in a natural way. I love the fact that I can go from my laptop to my phone to pretty much anywhere and learn the language of my choice. Not to mention, I'm bringing my communication skills to new heights. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a limited time, Star Talk Radio listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash startalk. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash startalk today. Hi, I'm Mark Allen, six-time Ironman world champion, and this is Playing With Science. I'm Gary O'Reilly. And I'm Chuck Nice. And this is Playing Playing With Science. Today, three is most definitely the magic number as Chuck and I enter the world of endurance and triathlon, which means only one thing. Iron Man. Ooh. Not Tony Stark, though. Oh. Mm, But something... Even better. Yep, I'm already exhausted. I'm telling you. Well, we'll have the greatest of all time. The GOAT. We're talking about Mark Allen, six-time Ironman world champion. The man ESPN voted the greatest endurance athlete of all time. He will be joining us. And also Samuel Makora from the University of Kent in England, who says endurance is pretty much all in the mind. Uh, Not in my mind. The only things up there are a cobweb and an angry-looking spider. (laughs) For those of you that aren't familiar with triathlon, it's quite simple. You swim, you run, you ride your bicycle. Mm -hmm. Sounds Uh, simple, doesn't it? Isn't that 2.4 miles swimming? Yeah. 112 miles bicycle riding. Right. But you don't have a basket on the front, so there's nowhere to put the shopping. And then it's a 26.22-mile marathon. Gosh. Oh, man, I'm exhausted saying it. You got to get it all done in one day. You know what I mean? Yeah, there's no taking a nap in between. Uh, All right, so that's Ironman Triathlon. And Mark Allen is better and has been better than anyone ever. So our first guest, Dr. Samueli Makora. Welcome to the show, sir. Um, Just before we get going, your research combines physiology and psychology to investigate fatigue in endurance performance. Can you discuss how triathletes differ from other kind of endurance athletes above and beyond they do three events and some other endurance athletes only just do the one. Yeah, I mean, in terms of the basic 
principle they govern endurance performance, I think they apply across all the sports. I think the challenges for Thai athletes are in terms of uh, training, therefore combining training in three different disciplines, which can, I guess, because of the volume of training that they have to do, they're probably more likely maybe to suffer from overtraining, which is a form of chronic fatigue. Maybe we can discuss that later. Mm-hmm. But also, it's, it's more difficult to um, pace yourself when uh, you have to combine and, and, and manage your, your race across three different disciplines. Um, so in a way, you could say that from that point of view, it could be more challenging than other sports, but I think the basics are very similar other than doing. So when you talk about fatigue, I think that you're looking at a, a different definition from many different people. Uh, some people will work for an hour mm-hmm. and say, oh my God, I'm just, I'm so fatigued. You know, I can't go on. And uh, and then you'll have some people who will run, you know, 50 miles and yeah. they'll say, I'm fatigued. Is there a baseline definition in your uh, in your studies that says this is what fatigue is? Do we have a, a base definition for fatigue? Yeah, that's a million dollar question. No, we don't. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, there are many definitions. And it, actually, it, it has been a problem for a long time because it impairs, if you like, communication between scientists and also between scientists and the public because fatigue can mean many, many different things. And some of these things, for example, the sensation of being tired after a long event that you just described, that, that's a lot of people use, uh, they, they call that feeling of tiredness after a demanding task uh, fatigue, and that's fine. Uh, but that's, uh, for example, that's a feeling that you can feel even at rest, you know, of being tired. But fatigue is also being defined as a reduction in muscle force or muscle power consequence as a consequence to exercise. That's what the physiologists look at primarily. What I'm interested in is the uh, definition of fatigue, if you like, as this increasing uh, perception of effort as the the time goes by when you do a task. Mm. So what I'm interested in is the fact that in order to keep performance at a certain level over time, you you have to increase your effort. And this is perceived as an increase in what we call perception of effort. And that's, if you like, the... The, the, the symptom of fatigue that I concentrate most of my research on. Interesting. What I feel from what you've just been saying is that an individual as an athlete or a non-athlete can impose their own levels of fatigue upon themselves. I can't do any more. I can't do no more. That's it. That's the one. <laughs> and, and then the, the actual physiology is, yes, you can, but you've self-imposed that upon yourself. Do you find that that happens more and more, or are people built differently to think in a different way? Yeah, I, 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 don't, I wouldn't call it self-imposed, but what you're saying, what you're referring to is the difference between when we feel that we cannot keep going, and, and because of that, we, we, we stop or slow down in a race, Mm-hmm. And what your uh, body physiologically is actually capable of, of doing. Hmm. That's where that's where the disconnect is. But the the first kind of fatigue, which is this feeling, which is uh, mainly primarily dictated by how hard the task feels, which is the perception of effort, which increases over time to the point that you feel it as uh, that you have given it given it all, and therefore you cannot keep going. Uh, that's not really that's a psychological phenomenon, but that doesn't mean that it's self-imposed. 
you know, if you if I cut your um, arm off, you will feel a lot of pain. Mm-hmm. It's a psychological phenomena, uh, but that's not self-imposed. Right? It's you know because I've cut your arm off. Right. Um, uh, but the, the, there is a distinction between the feeling of not being able to continue and the actual ability of the body to continue. That's right. uh, where where the disconnect is and where it's quite interesting to uh, also for uh, athletes. What you're saying, a, what you're saying yeah. is fascinating for two reasons. One, based on that, uh, you can fatigue just a part of you. For instance, if you're a basketball player and you shoot the ball... 600 times in one day. You can fatigue your arms to the point where you can't lift the basketball anymore or you feel like you can't lift the basketball anymore, even though you can walk around and you can maybe run to the store, but what you couldn't do anymore is shoot a basketball. So that's the one thing that strikes me from what you're saying. The other thing that it makes me curious is, is there a way to measure what is left in the tank of the physiology that you're discussing. So my point would be like, all right, now I just bear with me here, Doc. Bear with me because I don't know what I'm talking about and I'm just trying to give... That's what I say. You uh, don't say that about yourself. That's what uh, I say. That's your line? (laughs) (laughs) So let's just say, for instance, like glycogen, right? Everybody wants you to eat a lot of carbs before a race because you got glycogen and that's fuel and that fires the muscles and boom. All right. So just using that as a very loose example, is there a way to kind of measure like at the end of an event or a task, okay, the tank is empty or, hey, you think you're done, but your tank is a quarter full. You can do more, you lazy piece of crap. Now get in there and get to work. Feel better? Yeah. Feel better now? I'm sorry. That was me channeling my father. I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Go on, Professor, because it is a great question and uh, that's going to yes, get a good answer. It, it is. And fortunately, only I think it was published only a year or two ago, a colleague of mine, um, a Spanish colleague of mine, mm-hmm. which has worked many, many years in Scandinavia, where uh, they have a, a school in physiology where the, they, they, they do a lot of muscle biopsies mm-hmm. in people who exercise. So he learned this technique there, developed this technique there, and he actually used it in his lab in Spain. And what they did, so they did what we call a, a, a VO2max test, uh, which is used a lot in endu- to measure the maximal oxygen consumption, which is a measure of uh, fitness in endurance athletes. But yeah. the task itself is basically, is uh, in this case, was cycling for as long as you can, with, but with the power output of the bike and increasing uh, over time until, until the point that you cannot keep going anymore, you cannot cycle anymore. Yeah. All right. This is a very common test. But the smart thing that they did is to immediately after uh, what we call exhaustion, immediately after they couldn't go anymore, they applied a, a, a large cuff, similar to the cuff they used to measure blood pressure, but around the, the leg muscle. So basically to block the circulation, both arterial circulation, so uh, blocking the blood coming in mm-hmm. with a lot of oxygen, but also blocking the blood coming out. Um, so they kind of froze in time, if you like, the metabolic uh, uh, situation of the muscle. Yeah. And so that they had enough time to take a muscle biopsy. Basically, you cut through the skin and the fat, and then you go into the lab and you analyze the muscle for a lot of things. What they analyzed it for, uh, it was for the uh, concentration of ATP. 
which is, as you probably know, is the chemical energy inside uh, any cell, but also the muscle cells. Mm-hmm. So, and, and then they calculated for how long they could um, uh, cycle from a purely energetic point of view at the point where they stop. So at a very, very high intensity for an endurance athlete, yeah? 100% of your two max. For, to give an example, marathons, even elite runners, they run about 80% of your two max. Okay? So it's a very high intensity endurance exercise. And they calculated that uh, their subjects, they could have kept going from an energy point of view for, an, for another six to eight minutes after they stopped. And, and that's at the peak? Is that that's at the peak? Uh, uh, at the peak. At the peak. Wow. So, okay. Wow. You're the professor. I'm not. But here's my theory. Go ahead. The brain stops the muscles expending any more energy because it sees it getting to the red zone because the brain is wanting to keep energy for itself in an emergency. Is it a self-preservation thing from the brain you know, that that's doing makes... that with the muscles? Wow. Or, or have I gone completely out on that limb and I'm about to fall no, off? No, no. Right? No. That, that makes and a lot of sense. <laughs> I mean, it may not be scientific, but it makes sense. It's like it's almost like a self-preservation yeah. thing. It's almost the way like your body um, slows its metabolism when you don't eat. If I'm the brain and you're using too much of my energy, right? I'm shutting you down. Yeah. Now that's the prof- that's but no, that's just the- us. That's yeah. us doing our own experiments right now, Professor. <laughs> We're running our own lab right now. <laughs> so where are we? where where is this theory of mine in in the world of reality? <laughs> yeah. uh, you, actually, your theory is in between the a, a common one and mine. Okay, but it's not a year there, and I tell you why. So the the, the most common theory is that, uh, but this is about what I would call a teleological explanation, which uh, in physiology, interesting, but you know we cannot really test them experimentally. Yeah? So we can test the mechanisms. Mm-hmm. So is the the why, you know? So why this kind of system that prevents you from uh, fully, for example, uh, uh, using your physiological capacity, why, why would it be beneficial for survival? Why did, did it evolve, right? Why did we develop this perception of effort that stop us before we can actually fully use, uh, for example, in this case, our, uh, the case I, the example I made earlier, fully use our um, energy reserve in the muscles. Mm-hmm. I think actually that a lot of people think is that is to avoid basically killing yourself during exercise. Right. And to be honest, the muscle themselves, uh, some people think that's the, the organ that is protected, but I don't think so because the muscle, I mean, you can, you can operation, you can, them of oxygen for kind of hours and they they recover you know what i mean it's not they're very tough organs obviously the brain would be the next one the most important to save but in general whole body homeostasis i think that which is the state of your body we have a lot of physiological systems that do that so during exercise it's um extremely difficult to kill yourself Uh, it seems to me like from a mental standpoint and this is what i want here's my question the perception of effort, if your perception of effort is lower than other people's, in other words, you think that this is actually easier, does it translate into better physiological performance? Good question. Yes, and this is what, well, it depends what you mean by physiological performance. I mean, endurance performance. Endurance so, performance is what, what I'm saying. Yeah. Is, can I go farther? Yeah. It's really what I'm asking. Can I go farther? Yes, y- yes absolutely. Wow. And this is what I've done. It, it, it can, so if you reduce your perception of effort, even without changing your 
uh, lungs, your heart, and your leg muscle, which is what most people think is the is the only determinant of endurance. Of course, they are important. Nobody says they're not. But I can change your endurance performance without changing all of those factors. Uh, for example, I can uh, in, uh, reduce your perception of effort, for example, with some psychological techniques like a self-talk. Also, that's what caffeine does. Caffeine doesn't really make your... Your, your lungs, your heart, your muscles better at endurance. It makes your brain better at endurance by reducing perception of effort. And this will uh, translate into an improvement in performance. It can also work the other way around. So if I uh, make your perception of effort higher, even if your physiological capacity is normal, your endurance performance will be reduced. And this is the kind of experiments that we did uh, using mental fatigue. So wow. we mentally fatigue people before an endurance test, and of course, uh, we did that by asking people to do mentally fatiguing tasks on a computer for 90 minutes. Clearly, that doesn't fatigue your leg muscles, right? Right, right. Not even your fingers, I guess. Mm -hmm. Maybe your finger, maybe. But we found the same reduction in endurance performance that we found in a previous study where before the endurance test, we fatigued the leg muscles. So what I'm saying is that there is experimental evidence that fatiguing your brain is as important as fatiguing your legs in terms of impairing performance, endurance performance. Wow. Okay. So, yeah, that's wow. wow. And on that wow, wow, we will take a break. Professor, please stay with us. Uh, Professor Samuele Makora will be back after this break and uh, later in the show, Iron Man. No, not Tony Stark. No, Mark, it's Tony Stark. Uh, it's Tony Stark. Yes. Then. Okay, Tony Stark will be home <laughs> after we've spoken to the professor after the break. We may or Yay! may not have told the truth. Yay, Tony Stark! <laughs> yes, you can Yay! stick around. Right, more from the professor when we get back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the US on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx ground is faster to more locations than UPS ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, business tripper, or long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. And that's good, because there are a lot of me's. Choice Hotels has over 7,400 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels. Get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. Cambria Hotels feature locally inspired hotel bars with specialty cocktails and downtown locations in the center of it all. Hey, that's me. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces to get the most of your business travel and on-site restaurants. That's me, too. And at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles, great pools for the entire family, and spacious rooms. Hey, that's me, too. I guess I'm just going to have to stay at all of them. Choice Hotels has a stay for any of you. Book direct at choicehotels.com, where travel comes true. 
Hey, remember when we did that show about the science of the golf swing? Well, let's take that to the next level. And that's because PXG has developed the Black Ops driver so golfers don't have to sacrifice distance for forgiveness. And the science proves it. PXG Black Ops Driver is a breakthrough in driver technology. It's a complete and total victory in golf club engineering, unlike anything you've ever seen before. Black Ops Drivers are adjustable to deliver a combined MOI of 10,000 plus for unreal forgiveness. Now that's ridiculously high. The higher the MOI, the more forgiving the club will play. So you don't have to square the ball perfectly for it to go straight and get distance. Add PXG's new advanced material face technology and you get incredible ball speed that pushes the distance to the absolute limits. More forgiveness, more distance, no sacrifices. PXG Black Ops Driver. Hit your tee shot straighter and farther. The proof is in the science. Learn more and get free shipping on all equipment. Go to pxg.com slash startalk and use code startalk at checkout. That's pxg.com slash startalk. Use code startalk for free shipping on all equipment. pxg.com slash startalk, code startalk. Science. This is our endurance and Ironman triathlon special. Yes, we have a great guest with us, Professor Samueli Marcora, and coming up after him will be Mark Allen, aka Ironman. Stark. Oh, Tony Stark. Then okay, Tony Stark is coming <laughs> on just to make Chuck happy. But more with the professor. So, yeah. Professor, I mean, you've lit a fire under Chuck yeah, just man. in the first segment there with how you can lose the race, uh, debilitate your performance by being mentally fatigued before you even step foot on the track, on the road, or on the field. Is that right? Correct. Yeah, so now what I was fascinated by was the direct correlation between the, the mental fatigue and then the fatiguing of muscles. Uh, you know, and, the, you know, that correlation would lead me to believe that you can, you can screw yourself <laughs> before a race or a competition even begins by... Getting in your own head or fatiguing yourself mentally before you actually get into the competition, which then in turn leads me to ask, could you f mentally fatigue and screw your opponent the same way? Does it work? It, so it works internally. We know that. Can it work externally? Can I mentally fatigue my opponent? So, okay, you and I are in a race, and you come up to me and say, oh, you're looking tired. My God, you look so tired. All of a sudden. Did you sleep well last night? Exactly. Is everything okay? Does that technique work? Is your wife cheating on you? Oh, no blow. <laughs> <laughs> By the way. <laughs> sorry, so, Professor, sorry, please. Professor, but, jump in. Right. So can that, can that work? Actually, um, yes, but in two different ways. So okay. uh, one is uh, probably uh, some <laughs> more more practically achievable, and the other one is a bit more science fiction. Uh, the first one is that I think it's it's maybe related to yourself, but I guess you know some. So emotional regulation, so controlling your emotions, mm -hmm. which in 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 a social setting like sport, often you have to do, is very mentally fatiguing. So they did a, a colleague of mine um, here in the UK did a study, uh, and I want to tell you about this study. It's one of my favorite. It's quite good, I think, for ages. <laughs> so what they did, they showed 
a, a YouTube video of an Asian woman vomiting and eating her own vomit. Oh, wow. To, to a group of, of cyclists. Uh, and the reason to do that is to induce what you just did, to induce an emotion which is disgust. Mm -hmm. Okay? In one condition, okay, the control condition, they didn't show any video. In one condition, they showed the video and they told uh, the, uh, the participant to, that they could express their emotion, okay? No problem. So they could express their disgust as you did yes. uh, just now. In the other one, which I call the stiff upper lip condition, which is very relevant to the English here, yes. is, is uh, uh, you see the video, but maintain a stiff upper lip. Do not show your emotions. Mm -hmm. Right. Okay? The group that did control their emotion went significantly slower in a, in a, in a, in a cycling time trial in the lab perform afterward compared to the group that could show their emotion and of course also to the group that uh, the control group that didn't see any video so if you can induce with mind games and stuff uh, some uh, emotions in, in your opponent and the opponent because of the social situation has to control this emotion you could actually fatigue him or fatigue her, mm -hmm. uh, by doing that another more science fiction way which is related to a study which I did is by uh, subliminally priming your opponent. So <laughs> what we did, uh, we uh, show subliminal images, which is images that uh, consciously you cannot perceive, but your brain still register. Okay? Oh. And we showed, yes, and we showed in, uh, we had two conditions. Uh, in one experiment, we compared uh, happy faces and sad faces during uh, an endurance test. And because happy faces are associated with, you know, positivity, energy, uh, encouragement. Easiness. Yeah. Uh, sad faces are associated with, you know, depression, being slow, being tired. Disapproval. Exactly. And we found a significant difference between the time to exhaustion test in the happy face, which lasted longer, compared to the sad face, which lasted with the, the time to exhaustion, which is this test of endurance that we do in the lab, was shorter. The same thing. Uh, occurred using action words versus um, inaction words, like things like energy uh, versus things like uh, toil or stop. Right. And so we showed these, uh, these things, but they didn't see them. The, the it's, it's all subliminal. It's all subliminal. All subliminal, but we were able to affect their perception of effort and their performance in this wow. non-conscious way. So I guess if you could act into your opponent phone, yeah. <laughs> mobile phone, <laughs> and stick some subliminal images in there, you may be able to screw up with his brain. And, wow. And Professor, you've become Dr. Evil yeah, in the I space know, of the I love show. It. I love it. <laughs> oh my God, it's so, so good. What I'm hearing is something we've, we've touched on with in other shows. We are so focused on building muscle mass, developing our fast twitch muscles, and in this case, having more endurance and working towards those physical goals. But it, the carpet can be pulled from under our feet quite simply by half a dozen subliminal photographs or a woman vomiting. Yes. So, by the way, that, that vomit video, I watch that every day just for fun. <laughs> I'm just, I'm you, saying. You need help. I'm just so, saying. What I'm thinking here is we, <laughs> it's, it's happening more and more where the brain is the new frontier of our training, of where we are the key to us, hold the key to our success. Yeah. And I, I mean, are, are you developing techniques for brain training? You're nodding, so you are. Would you like to share with us, please? 
Yeah. Uh, first of all, though, I would like to say that although the ultimate, if you like, uh, limiting factor for universal performance seems to be uh, the perception of effort, so how it feels to run at a given speed, mm-hmm. that doesn't mean that uh, you know your leg muscle and everything else that is connected to the functionality of your leg muscle is not important. Because, mm-hmm. of course, if your leg muscles are weaker or, or you're not well-conditioned to produce the same power output, for example, during cycling, you will have to... Uh, recruit your muscle more intensely. Right. Uh, yeah. From so the the signal from the brain to the muscle will have to be uh, more intense to produce a certain power if your muscles are weaker, and and that's what you perceive as effort. What we we perceive as effort, not signals from the body, is how intensely your brain is 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 driving your muscles. That's what we perceive as effort. So right. it's still very important to. Take care, obviously, in training, take care of your muscle fatigue and everything else. However, well, as you rightly said, all these experiments that, for example, I've done, but also others have done, has shown that, of course, that's important, but you can just change the perception right. and by doing that, change the performance. Um, because the, 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 the state of your muscle is not the only factor that determines the perception. So we can give the athletes uh, novel and, and novel application that can improve their performance above and beyond what they achieve just by training, which they keep they should keep doing that. Of course. But they can do, they can do new things on the top. And uh, one of the stuff that we uh, tested, and we actually did testing with the, uh, thanks to General uh, uh, British Minister of Defense, is to um, add, uh, uh, we call it cognitive workload. So, Add the load during training, but not physically, for example, by running faster or by running longer, yeah, which is what most mm-hmm. people do in yeah. training, or by reducing the resting periods if you do interval training, these kind of things. We increase the training load by increasing the, the, the cognitive, the mental difficulty of the task. And the way we do it is by adding a cognitive task to the endurance task. So, for example, the, the first study that we did. We had uh, computers in uh, screens in front of the cyclist, which were training obviously on a stationary bike in the bike. And uh, one group uh, trained uh, three times a week for an hour on the bike. Uh, actually, both groups did that. But one group, on the top of that, they did this mentally fatiguing task, also for an hour, three times a week, at the same time. Mm-hmm. And the group, uh, from a physiological point of view, both groups improved, obviously because they did the same amount of uh, physical work. But in terms of perception of effort, and therefore, in terms of endurance improvement, the, the group that added the cognitive load to their training uh, improved their performance much better. Hmm. Now, and now we are testing this also during running uh, by the developing tasks that you can hear through headphones. So while you're running, you hear like a stimulus in your headphone. You have to respond. Right. right. Uh, so you can actually do it also during running. <laughs> so let me so, ask you this. Very, I mean, we're out of time, Professor, but I just want to, as a quick takeaway, it seems to me like everything that you're saying, if I want to, or any athlete out there, I, I include myself, <laughs> uh, if, if, <laughs> if, if I want to improve my performance, can I do so by talking to myself while I'm uh, doing my task? Can I do so by mentally fatiguing myself 
while I'm doing my task? I mean, can I, can I, can I achieve those two things on my own is what I'm asking. You do this empirically and under controlled uh, conditions in an experiment, but can I do that for myself as just a person who maybe wants to run a little bit faster or wants to go another mile on my morning run? Can I do that? Yes. I mean, self-talk, uh, there are um, a lot of, you know, uh, stuff on the internet that you can look at. But we found that motivational self-talk, which is a skill you need to learn, but it's easily learned, mm -hmm. can improve your um, endurance. So I would definitely suggest to do that. But also, obviously, at the moment, we are using apps and, and computers and things. But for example, one suggestion in terms of, if you like, implemented this idea, which I call brain endurance training to add cognitive load to your training, one way of doing it would be to train on purpose when you are fatigued. Like, for example, instead of uh, doing all the uh, tennis session maybe in the middle of the day during the lunch break because you feel better, do it, do it on purpose later in the day and, and, and maybe and try to run at the same speed that you would if you were more rested. Wow, that's yes. great stuff. Professor, thank you. Thank you. Uh, you have been You're enlightening um, and, and great pleasure to talk to. Uh, right, Professor Samueli Makora from the University of Kent in England. And uh, you can think yourself to a better place. We yes. will take a break. And who's coming up next? Tony Stark. Told you, he'll be here very, very shortly. He's just <laughs> going to open the window. He's going to fly straight in. Yes, he is. We'll be back after this break. Do you want to set up your child for success? Of course you do. Maybe you want to save money on private tutoring, or maybe it's just out of your budget altogether. Is this a big school year for your child? Like maybe they're starting kindergarten, middle school, or high school, or some other milestone. Maybe your family moved and they're starting at a new school. Is your child ahead? Not getting challenged enough in class? Well, we love that little smarty, but we want them to be engaged. IXL Learning is an online learning program for kids covering math, language arts, science, and social studies. IXL is designed to help them really understand and master topics in a fun way. Powered by advanced algorithms, IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or the personality. There's one site for all the kids in your home, pre-K to 12th grade. Kids can use it at home on the computer or on the go through the app on your phone or your tablet. No more grading those worksheets. IXL grades everything itself. And no more trying to figure out how to explain math equations or grammar rules yourself. IXL has built-in explanation videos. One in four students in the U.S. are learning with IXL. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. Make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And Star Talk Radio listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash Star Talk. Visit IXL.com slash Star Talk to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun. And that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, 
huge events and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. Hey everyone, it's Ted from Consumer Cellular, the guy in the orange sweater, and this is your wake-up call. If you're paying too much for wireless service, you don't have to keep having that nightmare. Consumer Cellular has the same fast, reliable coverage as the leading carriers for less. And for a limited time, new customers receive their second month free when they sign up and use promo code MONTHFREE by May 31st. So why keep spending more than you have to? Seriously, wake up and call 1-888-FREEDOM or visit ConsumerCellular.com. Taxes, fees, and other third-party charges will apply. See website for additional details. Welcome back to Playing With Science. This is our triathlon and endurance show. Yes. We have spoken to the wonderful Samuele Macora, our Italian professor in England, talking about how you can think yourself to a better performance. Um, right. Now it's time to talk about that better performance. With someone who will not be bettered. Mark Allen, yes. six-time Ironman triathlon world champion. The man ESPN crowned the greatest endurance athlete of all time. Not just a year, a race of all time. I'm the greatest, Howard. Mm, look at me. I'm pretty. Mm, I'm the greatest of all time. Huh. Somehow, I don't believe Mark Allen is going to have any of those thoughts in him. He seems such a nice gentleman. Um, how heavy a burden was to want to then wander around with that title on your shoulders? Yeah. You know, that, that title of uh, greatest endurance athlete of all time, it was in a poll that ESPN did worldwide. And uh, I, I got a call from a friend of mine that said, hey, there's five people in the running for greatest endurance athlete of all time, and you're one of them. And I'm like, what? So I went on to their website and saw it. And then I was actually, I had gone down to Argentina to do a, a training camp down there called Fit Soul Fit Body. And... Um, I got off the plane, looked on my phone, and, and there was the result that I'd won it, which was mind-blowing because, you know, in the sport of triathlon, you kind of, I have this idea that I know what goes on in triathlon. Other triathletes know what's going on, but it, it did, never really occurred to me that maybe the rest of the world is checking out what we're doing. And so it kind of was sort of like, wow, well, maybe, maybe the Ironman, maybe what I did was kind of a good standard. You know, so it's pretty cool. Uh, totally if, cool. You've, if you've been world champion six times, I think we're way past the good standard point. Yeah, that's called the gold standard. That's not a good but standard. What's interesting to me is you were All-American in university as a swimmer. So you've kind of got one third of this triathlon thing under what I would call control. Mm. What drew you to this particular in field of endurance and... Being great at swimming is just not enough. No. I really have to challenge myself, like maybe with biking and running too. So you'll get used to Chuck if you run long <laughs> enough. Um, what drew you? What drew you to the other two disciplines and, and the world of triathlon? Well, you know, I, I, uh, I love an athletic puzzle. Uh, you know, all I right. swam for 12 years as a kid all the way through college. I was actually, you know, All-American is very misleading because I was never fast enough to make it to, uh, you know, national championships or to make it to uh, Olympic trials even. So I, I kind of had this thing in the back of my mind that I was, you know, a, a good athlete, but definitely not an outstanding athlete. And, and in 1982, I saw the Ironman on television and it was back when, you know, wide world of sports was yeah yeah. Jim, Jim McKay was always talking about something amazing, and I turned on the TV and he was talking about this thing called Iron Man, 
and he said the distances, you know, it's 2.4 mile swim, 112 mile bike ride, and then a marathon. And I thought, how many days is it going to take these people to complete that crazy thing? <laughs> and he said, it, it's, it's a one day event. One day. Seven in the morning and you have to finish by midnight, 17 hours later. And I thought, totally crazy, totally nuts. Two weeks later, I go, I have to go try that and see if I can cross that amazing finish line in Hawaii. And that was it. You know, it was just, it was just this crazy, non-logical thing that was calling me to go there to do the Ironman. And, uh, you know, wow. as, oh, it, turned in, it turned into a little more than just a, a one-time shot. So Were you I, one of those guys that rocked up, the guy that everybody hates and went, I swim better, cycle better, run better, or did you have to earn your stripes, as it were? Well, the first six times I went to Hawaii, I did not win. I was I was zero for six, and so you you know think about it this nice. way: you're, I, the first year I went there, I just went with the expect or the hope anyway that I would cross the finish line, and mm -hmm. I actually throughout that year did did pretty well. The next year I came back thinking maybe I can be pretty good at this. I end, ended up finishing third, and then I and then I finished fifth the following year, but I was closer to the leader at the at the at the, at the finish line. Year after that, I was second. Wow. Year after that, I was fifth. And you know, I could be in the lead of the race early in the bike. I could be in the lead of the race at the beginning of the marathon, halfway through the marathon, even uh, as late as you know, with just a couple miles to go. But I kept falling apart, you know, and I couldn't hold it together. Something was going on, and so each year I would go back, thinking, "Okay, this is going to be the year." And after six shots at it, with zero victories, being in the lead and falling apart, you know, my family and friends are going. Look, you're not cut out for this. Go to the other places where you've shown that you can you can win, where you can beat the guy who is beating you, a guy named Dave Scott. And uh, yeah. you know, you do have to ask yourself how many times you're going to beat your head against the wall for a goal that maybe you're just not going to get, not you're not going to achieve. And so I. You, so you how know, did you crack the code? Yeah. Did you did you just kill Dave Scott? Is that what happened? You've done <laughs> yeah. it again, haven't you? You've resorted to violence. <laughs> You know, I, in 1989, I, I really tried to, I, I had, before I started training, I said, am I really going to go back? Am I really going to devote a whole another year for this endeavor? And uh, I was really close to following my friend's advice and, and saying, forget it, throw it in the trash, let everybody else race there. But I, I, I just knew that I, I hadn't had my best race yet. And mm. so in 89, I, as I started training for my seventh Ironman Hawaii, I, um, I said, I'm going to go there and really put it all together. I don't care if I win. I don't care if I get fifth or 10th. I just want to have a race where, you know, I really do give my best effort. I swim, I bike, I run, I don't fall apart. And I cross that finish line strong. And so that was, that was a real shift actually in, uh, in the focus. You know, if you're trying to win, mm -hmm. if you feel the wind slipping away, it can, it can like close down your energy and all of a sudden the flow is gone. Interesting. We're back to that mental state again. Yeah. About the so where did you, you said it was in the marathon that you went from where you wanted to be to the place you didn't want to be. So how did you structure training? How did you then, did you then fall back into your own mind and build that positivity? Or was there some other place that you physically and mentally went to? I, I had to really change my training around first and foremost mm. and, and do some do some longer workouts do some longer days because i was i was doing a lot of training for sure you know you get second third fifth in hawaii you, you, you're doing some training but my longest days were i realized were still too short to win a race that takes eight hours right and so you know how 
in, in the beginning, we default to doing the things that we're comfortable doing or yep. that, that sound exciting to do. And then over time, if, if we see that that's not working, then we have to change that and maybe do something that's completely uncomfortable. And that's what I had to do in, in, in 1989. I, I designed five training days where they were simulating Ironman. So I wanted to do an eight-hour training day. The longest days before that were that I did were about five or six hours. And I saw that I was falling apart in the race after hour six of the race, you know. And so I did a I do a 30-minute swim, get out of the water, bike seven hours, get yeah. off of my bike and run 30 minutes. Wow. So then I started seeing that, okay, I can do a solid, strong eight-hour day. But I, I knew that wasn't enough. And, and the part that wasn't enough is that I had this uh, just complete fear of, of the island of Hawaii. It's a very intense place. And it's a very, you, you know, like, you know how it is? Like you go, if you're going on vacation, you go somewhere where you just feel good and you go, ah, this is wonderful. You know, I could just be here forever. The, the, going to Hawaii to do the Ironman is completely the opposite of that. You get off the plane. There's no air conditioned jet white. They, they roll these steps up to the plane and you go right down onto the hot tarmac of, of the runway. And so immediately you're hit with this heat and this wind and the sun is beating down because the flights always get in around about 1230 midday. And I would just feel like this flower that was just withering and shrinking. And, and I could feel like every bit of confidence go out of my body. And so when I went there in 89, I, I, I just thought, you know, I have to I have to work with this environment as, as opposed to trying to be in competition to it. Mm. And, you know, it was, it's sort of like, um, if you're, if I, I had been trying to be stronger than this energy and there's no way it's like being stronger than a lava, a lava flow or being right. stronger than a, a 30 mile an hour wind. There's no way you have to just sort of surrender to it. There and it say, is. Okay, this is what it's going to be and try and to not try to avoid it or make it anything different than it is. So and that's that it's so funny you say surrender because, all right, so I used to hang out with three guys and they did tries all the time, okay? And uh, shout out to uh, uh, Carlos, Dave, and Sean. And I was, the, I was the fourth guy who refused to compete. <laughs> you know, I, I was just like, you guys are crazy. And they were. And so are you, by the way. I'm just letting you know, okay? Any, anybody who watches... Anybody who watches a triathlon, a triathlete Mark took train, that as a compliment. He should. He yeah. should take it as a compliment because he knows it's true. They're, yeah, yeah, they're yeah. crazy. They're seriously crazy. Yeah, okay. No. So triathletes are uh, people who don't know what torture is. They call torture tickling, and they think they're being tickled when they're being tortured. And so this is what I learned from hanging with these three guys. But so you realigned your mental aspect to. This is what I want to do. I know the parameters of where I am. And then you go back into your training. Did you do the thing you hear a lot of people say, I train harder than I compete. So as when I compete, it's more comfortable for me. Or did you find another way to solve this particular puzzle that you say? Mm, I like that. I train harder than I compete. Oh. Yeah, actually, that's, that's uh, what I did in a sense. Like in, in my hard workouts, I always tried to make some element of it harder than that element would be in the race. So nice. you know, if I had to go a certain speed, I would do workouts where I would go faster than that, than that speed so that when I'm in the race, even though a, a training day or a training workout is not going to be as long as Ironman, at any one point I knew, my body knew, 
my perception of what was going on knew that this was not my top end speed. You know, when I had, uh, I would look at the course, course profile and, and see how steep the hills were. And then I would do climbs that were either steeper or longer than what I would come across in the race. So that in the race, it's like, yeah, it's hard, but I did elements and an, this element in a harder situation in training. And I did, uh, I, I did a lot of my training in heat so that it's like, okay, Kona is 85, 90, but today it's 105 or 102 or 100 degrees. And, and so that, again, is just affirming that I can handle this difficulty. And so it does truly change your perception of what's going on out there in the race course. You know, yes, it's hard. Yes, your legs are killing you. Yes, you, you want to quit. You know, all those things are there. But then there's that little, that other voice in the back of your head that's going, yeah, but you've done this and you did something that was even harder than this. And so it just, it takes away a lot of the stress and it takes away that perception that it's this mm. impossible beast that you can't slay I as got, opposed to. I, I got to ask you this. Okay, so the, the, these guys used to come in when they would time, they would get their times and they would say, oh man, I'm really excited. I did really well for my age group, right? Yeah. And they would all say the same thing. And I would say, yeah, dude, but that dude over there, he looks like your dad and he just serves you lunch. He killed you. And they would all say the same thing. They would say, no, dude, you don't understand. This is a sport where you get better as you get older. The older dudes have an advantage. You, you, that's what they would say. They would say, you're never going to see like a 20-year-old guy win a triathlon, like not against those guys, because older means endurance. Is that true? Or were they just making excuses? For losing. <laughs> Those losers. Those losers. Yeah, you know, there there is definitely longer events take more of, a, I guess you'd say, a developed mindset. You know, you have to be stronger in your mind and, like I said, be willing to just surrender to something that can seem really impossible in the moment, but stick with it and don't give up and keep getting yourself back into that champion's mindset, which is a place where it's hot, it's windy, your legs are killing you, you want to quit. It doesn't look like you're going to be able to win or achieve the goal that you want to do, but you stay with it anyway. You stay engaged anyway, and then things start to turn around, and that flow comes back, and the next thing you know, you know, miles are passing, and you didn't even, you, you didn't even know it. And so that takes time to develop. Yeah, okay. Okay. Uh, for sure, somebody young can have a very aggressive uh, intense focus, mm -hmm. but I think it takes. I think it takes a lot of years of developing yourself to get to the point where you have that focus. that's very patient. That's it's interesting. You a, say the young that. bull and the old bull sitting on a yeah. hill. And how long did it take you personally? Uh, and obviously, you 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 found it reasonably quickly to not have the negative conversation during a race and would only focus on this. I've got this. I know how to do. I trained harder than this. My, I'm not at the envelope, the edge of the envelope of my stress here. I'm, I'm in a good place. Rather than, oh man, can I make this hill? Can I do this? Am I going to get that? How long before you got rid of the negativity in your thinking? And were you ever on the bike going, I'm the greatest of all time. Hmm, <laughs> that's right, Howard. I'm pretty. I'm pretty, Howard. Look, I'm so quick. I turn out the lights. I get in the bed before the room go dark. Hmm. Hmm. Oh. <laughs> You know, I, I met Muhammad Ali at uh, Super Bowl a number of years ago. Year, quite a few years ago, actually. And and, uh, and I was introduced to him. And you know, he said enough like that. <laughs> well, but no, it was at, you know, at that point, he wasn't really talking. Oh, and, okay. All right, man. We, we were introduced to each other, and somebody said, you know, this is Mark Allen, the Ironman champ, you know. And he kind of 
gets this, does this little thing with his head and he, he smiles, he gets this twinkle in his eye and it was the coolest just connection, you know, cause he, he, he was so in there, you know, yes, but, right. it, yes. but the speech wasn't there for him. But anyway, what the heck were we talking about? <laughs> okay. So <laughs> how long did it take? How long did it take you to rid your mind of a negative thought process yeah. in the race? You know, uh, let me, I'll be honest with you. I won Ironman six times and, and in every one of those victories, there were, there were thousands of moments where my mind wasn't quiet, where the, the negative thoughts did come in, where I wanted to quit, where I thought, I can't do it. I can't take another step. What am I doing? I need to get a real job, not do this stupid <laughs> sport anymore. But the thing that was different yeah. was that in those victories, those, those thoughts would come in, those negative thoughts, that negative chatter, that internal dialogue, it doesn't help you out. And I take a breath and then I could get it to be quiet again. And so it doesn't matter how positive you are. You're going to have moments in something that's a, an endurance event like that where you, you get the negative thoughts, but you bring yourself back to that, that quiet place much quicker. Mm. You know, and the young guys, they get into that negative space and they might be in it for 10 minutes or 15 minutes. I hopefully would be in it for like a couple seconds and then get back into that flow. Just that. Okay, you know, you, you go back to surrendering, saying, okay, who cares if it's hard? This is what I asked for. I put myself in this position here. And then you just start to engage in that in that more of a, of a flow state. So it's not like all of a sudden you go from being this really negative dude to being Mr. Positive. Mm. You know, that's very unrealistic. Gotcha. You, just have, you, you just get better at managing it. And depending on your ability, your skills, your fitness, all that, it will reach a tipping point where you're managing it well enough that all of a sudden you go from second place to first, from being the runner-up to being the champion, from letting those moments drag you down to being able to continue to pick yourself up and take that next step and keep going the best you possibly can. So it's a I, huge tipping point. So I the, the muscle that makes the difference from second to third or fifth to first place is the, the one muscle. between your ears. Yeah. Look at that. That's so I think this is a perfect time to summarize your career numerically. And that is with the following, one, six, 21, infinity. And one is for the first official triathlon world championship victory. Six is for the six times that uh, Mark has won the Ironman. 21 stands for his two-season run of 21 straight victories along the way, defeating every one of the top 50 triathletes in the world. And Infinity represents the acknowledgement by ESPN as the greatest endurance athlete of all time. <laughs> Pretty, a, pretty damn cool, man. One six twenty one infinity. Mark Allen. Yep, beauty of numbers. You have Mark Allen coaching, which is an online coaching program. If we were to join that, how much brilliant Mark Allen do we get? And how are you working with these guys when you're not actually stood next to them, poking them in the shark's dick and telling them to run faster, swim further, cycle better? Yeah, you get you get a lot of me on that coaching program, MarkAllenCoaching.com. I, I I provide people with training plans that that are the all surround based on the philosophy of how I got myself to be the the Ironman champion, and it's all based on that th those training methodologies. But 
customized to the fitness of the person and the goals of the person and the, and the their age, the races that they're targeting. And then you, you get a ton of support from me. So there's always that chance to to email and, and to ask the questions and get the answers. And that website again is, please? MarkAllenCoaching.com. Cool. Well, to go. make this the best interview ever, I'm just going to say, Tony Stark, it was a pleasure. You've never had that before, have you? You must be fed up and then some. Mark Allen, sir, salute you. Been a pleasure. Thank Absolute you, pleasure. And thank you for sharing your experience. It's, uh, it's been revealing, and I think our audience will uh, have enjoyed it. So thank you once again for your time. All right. Thanks, guys. It's always great, and I'm happy to chat anytime. Thank you. Wow, what a great show. I can't believe we had Tony Stark Do you know Stark what? I'm on. getting used to saying wow after interviewing our guests. Yeah. But that is... Yeah. I mean, not just... I'm in awe of the numbers, which yeah, you so eloquently put through. But the journey, it wasn't like, you know what, dude? I'm world champion, and it was so easy. Right. He had to struggle. Yeah. He, he's the greatest endurance athlete of all time, and he struggled. Yeah. And he had to come to terms with, in the end, just as... Samueli Makora. <laughs> I'm going to love saying oh, that for say a while. That. Yeah, Samueli uh, Makora. It's, it's what goes up there. Yeah. It's, 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 it's what goes on up it's, there it's all upstairs. on the top deck. Yeah. And he said until he got able to have that voice in his mind but get shot of it within seconds right. rather than the younger athletes yeah. who'd still be arguing 10 minutes down the road. Right. And that's the big key. Brilliant, brilliant. You think yourself to a different place, to a better place, to a better performance, to greater endurance. Yeah, I just hope he gives us a tour of Stark Industries. That'd be great. <sighs> oh, well. Open the window. We'll fly out in our, in our Iron Man suits. Right, that's, I've been Gary O'Reilly. And I'm Chuck Nice. You sure you're not Tony Stark? Oh, I'm Tony Stark, yeah. There you go. This has been Playing With Science. And it's not been enduring, or has it? Yes, it, yes, has. it has. It's been an endurance triathlon special, and I'm so pleased that we were able to make it. Hope you've enjoyed it. We look forward to your company very, very soon. This is a big year. The Ohio Lottery's golden anniversary. 50 years of excitement, of growing jackpots and crossed fingers. 50 years of funding for schools, of changed lives and brightened days. 50 years of fun, and that is worth celebrating. So watch for can't-miss promotions, huge events, and new games that will make the Ohio Lottery's 50th year its biggest one yet. Learn more at funturns50.com. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.